the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website and your host for the See at the Game podcast. With this episode, Brad Geiger and Neil Langland return to the podcast. We will be getting to our Pac-12 preview and our fall camp analysis in short order, but we wanted to do a free-flowing episode on the state of name, image, and likeness at the University of Colorado. Athletic Director Rick George recently met with the CU Board of Regents, and some of his quotes are disconcerting to some members of the Buff Nation. One thing that we're not going to do, George said, is we're not going to induce student-athletes to attend here, we're not going to tamper with student-athletes, and we're not going to have boosters involved in the recruiting process and other areas, even while other schools are having no problems with any of the above. Can CU wait for the NCAA to enforce its actual rules? Is it possible for Colorado to stick to its principles and still be competitive? What are the odds that this is the beginning of the move in college football to a semi-pro league of the top 24 to 36 teams which are willing to pay to compete? Are college football programs left in a position of adapt or die, with CU being left behind? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back, and we're going to try something a little different. We found in previous post-podcast recording that we've solved the world's problems. So welcome back, Brad. More Hello, than how are you? Yeah, yes. <laughs> not. <laughs> this is a verbal media. <laughs> <laughs> Brad nods. So we're off to a good start. And Neil is back. Let the transcript show that I, too, am nodding. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we were just talking a little bit about the, uh, the state of affairs at the University of Colorado. Boulder Daily Camera just ran an article with an extensive interview with CU Athletic Director Rick George, which I think for most fans would be a little bit disconcerting. Well, here, I'll, I'll give you a quote. It's not nil as it was intended to be, George said. We certainly want student-athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness, and they should be, just like another student. But some of what we're seeing now is outside of that realm, so it is concerning. We're going to do things that fit Colorado, and we're going to do things that ensure we're abiding by the rules, and we're not tampering, and we're not inducing, and we're not getting booster involvement that isn't done the right way. Let's don't be naive. I mean, we know that there's tampering going on. We know that there's inducements out there, and we've got to begin enforcing that, and we've got to do a better job of that. Anything disconcerting about any of that for either of you? Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> does he think that there's going to be someone enforcing this stuff anytime soon? Certainly the NCAA is not going to, given the Supreme Court order that essentially said hands off, plus the NCAA doesn't seem to have any interest in doing that. Certain conferences are not doing that, should I say, Big Ten, SEC, but it's the lowest common denominator. And unless one is ready to burn the football program to the ground and have it look like Eastern Ukraine, in five or 10 years. CU has to 
do some things that it may find now distasteful. Um, if it's going to remain competitive, if it's not interested in doing that, then perhaps it ought to reconsider the role of football at CU. Well, and there was, you know, some question about that in one of the preseason magazines, Brett. I know where we just kind of go off, but uh, let me just say in Rick George's defense, at least initially, that uh, in an interview with George Kalyavkov at his one-year anniversary of being the Pac-12 commissioner, he was quoted as saying, it's unfortunate that we're not enforcing the rules we all agreed to. So apparently Rick George and George Klyavkov are on the same page. So we're it's all good, right? Well, I mean, if you're Klyavkov and you're coming in late and you're watching the SEC and the Big Ten in particular doing what they're doing, and you know that right now you have one, maybe two, three teams that can compete in that kind of NIL environment, all you can do at this point is complain, even if you know that the complaint is going to go on deaf ears. Okay. And that's just, you know, we all have this ridiculous fig leaf that continues so that Alabama, Alabama can pretend that they're offended that Texas A&M is buying recruits. No. Yeah. Shocked. Shocked How- to discover that there's gambling going on in this establishment. How dare you beat me at the game I've been playing for 20 years? Because there's a supposed idea that NIL is separate from recruiting, separate from inducements and all that massive garbage. And I guess I understand Kliakoff and George saying it, but it doesn't matter. It's a ridiculous idea. And whatever they're saying in the daily camera, they have to be doing something different or or Neil's completely right. We're not going to play in this game. We're not going yeah. to be in the same field. We're not going to be in the same arena. It's just not going to work. Yeah. So, Neil, is it naivete? Is it just saying it because that's what needs to be said? Is it that CU's actual stance that we're going to wait for the NCAA to enforce the rules? And until then, we're going to keep abiding by the rules, even if everybody else is not abiding by the rules? That can't possibly be right. Well, before I answer that particular question, I'll just say that I like Klyavkov as a commissioner. He is head and shoulders above what we used to have. And I think the world of Rick George and all that he has done in terms of fundraising and facilities development at CU. But I'm not sure who's making the decision on this approach whether it is the Pac-12 hierarchy, I forget, the the governing committee of three presidents and chancellors that's making this decision, or whether CU is with its administration making that decision. But pursuing this course of action that we're going to do it the right way when everyone else is doing it the wrong way, just might as well just throw up the white flag now. This is sort of like the comet or the meteorite that struck the earth and certain species disappeared overnight and others survived. (laughs) Now, which one of those classes do you think CU is going to be if it stays on this path? Well, it doesn't sound like we're going to be long for the world. We're going to be those Tyrannosaurus Rex that uh, is not going to, make it other than making oil for future generations. So <laughs> what it, I, I don't get it, Brad. I mean, are, is there, are there other programs that are playing by the rules that are spouting off that the NCAA is going to come after these guys and they're going to be sorry. Is there anybody else that you've heard of? I mean, other, maybe Stanford, right. um, I mean, the schools like that, that are saying, we're not going to, do NIL, we're not going to, you know, do collectives, we're not going to have boosters running the program. Are boosters running the program just because they set up a collective? Is that the argument? Yeah. Well, and is he wrong? 
Is it? I mean, the bottom line is Texas A&M did not have the best recruiting class in the country because their coach is a brilliant, funny guy. Okay. They had the number one recruiting class because they bought them. And the fact that they get offended by saying that they bought them is hilarious, but we're not going to pay any attention to that stupidity. Are we? Mike George was one of the last guys with his finger in the dike. All right. He was one of the four guys standing there against the Supreme Court and the market forces and the fairness and everything else saying, we can keep, we can fix this. And he has not at least publicly adapted to the fact that it's irretrievably changed. He doesn't necessarily rule out collectives. I think Neil's right. I think part of the problem is I, I think if we had a collective, Rick would find a way to describe it as the CU kind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, I think the, it's the, easy to say we're not going to do it that way when nobody's asking you to do it that way. Yeah. All right. But saying this stuff out loud is a problem. Yeah. Neil, let me give you another quote from the article. We do have a couple of collectives that haven't morphed yet. We also, and this is what he told the regions. We also have some that want to come to us and talk about creating a collective and we'll be in process of looking at that and what it looks like for our student athletes, but we intend to be competitive, okay? But one thing we're not gonna do to do is we're not going to induce student athletes to attend here. We're not going to tamper with student athletes and we're not gonna have boosters involved in the recruiting process and other areas. Wow. I I I I just don't know what to say. Give me give me something. Speechless. Um, again, I admire Rick George. Okay, um, and I, I admire. Big, you're not going to find a bigger fan of Rick George than me, so I and, I totally understand. But and I'm sort of an old timer when it comes to having some sort of leveling device to where it becomes competitive. But that is gone. It's gone. Adapt or die is the way is where we're at here. I hate to be so Darwinian about it, but if we're going to stand by our principles, we're going to fall on our sword. And if that's what the CU administration wants to do, then they should just say so, so that there there's no expectation that it's ever going to change. Yeah, because I think uh, I was speaking with a friend the other day about this issue. And this friend brought up the point that if and when there is ever reform of NIL and transfer, which is a long shot, but if it ever happens, all of those that have transgressed up to that point will not be penalized. And in fact, they will have reaped great benefit from having transgressed. So you're either going to do that and stay. Or you're not. I'm sorry. I, I just I'm frustrated by this, but you can't have it both ways. Say that we're going to stick by our principles and have competitive teams. It's yeah. not going to happen. It, not going to happen. I just the whole idea. It's not that, just football. Yeah. This is going to happen in basketball. It's going to have to do a lesser extent in women's sports. Okay, probably women's sure. basketball next. But football is the monster. I fear that Rick George thought that there would be this initial rush and then everyone would settle down and realize that we're overpaying athletes because we're overpaying athletes and that everybody would calm down. And maybe if for five years, the highest NIL teams do not win a championship, some people will grow a brain. We're talking Texans. (laughs) Okay. The idea that they're going to keep spending money, no matter what the result is predictable. So, You know, everybody thinks that eventually people are going to come to their senses. They're not. Well, guys like Rick George need to realize that. Yeah, well, apparently not, because next quote, this is Rick George again talking to the the regions. There's one or two percent of student athletes around the country that are participating in nil at that level. They're talking about five, six figure deals. That's about the same number that goes pro in a professional sport. And we can't lose sight of what we're here to do. That's to make sure we provide an incredible education for our student athletes, that we set them up for life after college athletics 
or whatever their pro day or whenever their pro days end. We're not going to put an eight-figure deal out there for a student athletes. That's not our focus. Our focus is to ensure that 98 or 99 percent that we're providing a great program. We're providing a great education. We're giving them meaningful, meaningful career opportunities so that they can be successful in whatever community they live in once they leave here. So we're graduating good citizens that are going to be successful in later life. What's that old thing that we used to cheer in the 80s, Brad? You know, that's that's all right. That's okay. You'll all work for us someday. I mean, that's that's going to be our philosophy of life at the University of Colorado going forward, because that's what it sounds like to me. And I, he has yet to say why those two things are mutually inconsistent. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to recruit worse people if you're paying them. He, he's drawn this false moral equivalence. If you are an athlete who is willing to take whatever, you know, Texas A&M is willing to throw at you or Alabama or who pick your purchased team or Ohio State, it doesn't inherently mean you're a worse student. It doesn't inherently mean you're a worse human. It means you're using the system. You can maintain your standards for who you recruit and still have a competitive process that acknowledges that NIL is part of the package. Okay. We figured out 15 years ago that we were no longer going to be able to recruit with Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan. Are we all going to be honest about that? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Or USC. We just, you know, those, those that reality has set in for CU fans and for Tennessee fans and for Oklahoma or for Kansas fans and for everybody else. Okay. If you're not the, one of those 20 teams, reality is you're not going to compete for those five star players. And yes, there were certain decisions made that made it harder. But we can create a collective, an NIL process that makes us competitive for the players we've always been competitive about. Because right now, it ain't like we're never going to be able to match AM in bidding for five stars. But I fear next year we're not going to be able to match Tennessee in bidding for threes. Right. Well, now you talk, you know, he says, well, we're not going to have eight-figure deals. Well, what's wrong with the five-figure deal, Neil? Well, as Brad says, we may, we don't have the wherewithal to go after that one or two percent of difference makers in college football that are going to go on to pro careers and make the difference between a CFP contender and someone playing in some obscure bowl somewhere. We can still get, we can maintain our position if we get the type of program, Stuart, that you just described. But without doing more than we're doing now, we're on a rocket ship to the bottom. Just about recruiting. Um, Again, this friend and I were speaking about this the other day in that CU's recruiting approach now of high school players is all wrong. And under the old rules, CU was able to grab some players that were four and five star recruits out of high school, but that didn't pan out for some reason at one of the larger schools, and they would transfer to Colorado, Tommy Brown being an example of that. Well, under NIL, players willing to leave for playing time and sacrifice NIL money that's going to keep a lot of that talent impacted at those larger schools. So there's not going to be the trickle-down effect on which CU was relying to get high-quality transfers. So without some sort of active program, we're going to be competing for two-star players, if you will. And without something like OSU is doing, without Oregon State, they have more going on the collective front than CU does. Yeah, well, it harkens back to the day before there were scholarship limits where right. programs would be stacked. They'd have four or five deep and everything. We had the 85-man roster. Uh, it was like 100 to start with. It you know, finally got down to, to 85, but the idea being is that if they couldn't 
you know, have three deep four-star players that some of those four-star players would have to go somewhere else. Well, if you're paying the fourth string left guard $10,000 or $50,000 at Texas to be hanging out at barbecue places or whatever it is that they're supposed to do to earn their $50,000. Now you got the question, does this 19-year-old want to earn $50,000 sitting on the bench at Texas or perhaps transfer to Colorado and play and get free pizzas um, as their compensation for being a University of Colorado buff? I mean, Brad, you know, is it something like that where scholarship limits back in the day when you had the big two and the little six and the big eight, it was just taken for granted that the little six had no chance of competing. And that was just the way it was. Everybody just accepted it. I deeply fear that. If the NCAA, by some amazing system, decided to start enforcing inducement and saying you you can't pay inducements, we all know what will happen. Same thing that's going to happen no matter what. Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and Texas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma State and, you know, name your top 20, 25, 30 schools are going to say we don't need the NCAA. What we are figuring out is what we've always known, that that top tier is going to make their own rules. And that absent congressional interference, and I'm not advocating for it because there's a few other things they should deal with first, that those guys are going to eventually just make their own organization and live that way. And the rest of us are going to figure, have to figure out how we fit in there. And CU, bluntly, is no longer in that group. Yeah. So maybe what I'm hearing is is Rick George saying we acknowledge the inevitable. Even if we play the NIL game as hard as we can, we can't compete in that pot. We can't compete. And so let's wait and see it shakes out and watch those other teams go their own way. And then we'll build a better second rate group. Well, and that might be the the way of the world that she just fell out of the top 25 in the all-time wins list recently, just because of mm-hmm. the last decade or so. And maybe it'd be, you know, sooner rather than later have the top 24, top 36 go their own way and be a semi-pro league and let the rest of us actually enjoy football again. There is some flicker of hope out there on social media, on Twitter, I guess it's Twitter's public, I guess I can say this. There's uh, Jeremy Doherty and Kelly Brooks. Uh, if anybody follows them on Twitter, they are talking about how, you know, stay tuned. There's big news in the works. And we're bringing a, you know, championship team back to Boulder and, and things like that. And these are, you know, heavy hitter donors. Even Rick George sort of hinted at it a little bit. Um, the same article for, I think we're going to do is going to take a little bit of a deep breath. We're going to evaluate what we've done. And then by the time we get to August and those student athletes come back, we'll make some changes that we think are best for our program. Well, is there hope light at the end of the tunnel that maybe even the University of Colorado? I mean, my very first podcast, we're 75 plus podcasts in. This is third season, my very first podcast was with Rick George talking about this, and he was on the committee dealing with Congress, talking about this very issue. So it's more than two years that he's known that this was coming, but we're going to take a little bit of a deep breath. We're going to evaluate what we've done, and then by the time we get to August, we might make some changes. Are you excited about that? It's all uh-huh. Brad's, Brad's nodding. Go ahead, Brad. Well, It's all we got. Yeah. You know, I got I got a lotto ticket for Wednesday. Okay, and it's like three three hundred million. You know, if 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 I win, I promise, see, you'll get some of it. Yeah. But, but other than that, I mean, well, maybe Rick maybe Rick George won't let you. He might not. All the stuff that that we hoped would work, that we hoped would change, has gone worse than. I mean, let's all face it. Nil went worse than we feared. Yeah. Okay. We thought big programs would end up playing kids. We never thought Texas A&M was going to spend, what was it? 
15 million this year? That's the the story. Right. You know, on a recruiting never, class, not even the not even the players that right. were in the locker room, but on the right. recruiting class. And as amusing as it is for them to, you know, yell at each other about it, it's if you're Rick George, you say, This is the end of the world as we know it, which he got real close to saying, you're not wrong. The thing yeah. is this, the world isn't ending, it's changing. It concerns me greatly that we don't have a leader in the athletic department who has acknowledged that fully. And yeah. that's unusual because Rick George is one of the smartest guys you'll run into. He knows this well. Kliakov knows this. Yeah. So, Neil, you is know, it a buck stop there, or do you think that uh, maybe uh, Rick George has his hands tied by those above him? That's a great question. I've never been able to resolve that. Going back to what Brad said is he must have scored real well on his SATs, the reading stuff in terms of the inferences of what Rick George might be saying, which is CU fans, we're not going to adapt. We're going to play it the old way. So get used to it. And maybe that's the new reality. And perhaps they should just come out and say it rather than teasing us with this notion of what we have lacked over the last 20 some years is a sugar daddy. But if they're implying that there's one on the horizon, well, maybe there's some hope. But that that's nothing to, to base any faith on or to have any hope about. It. So I just think that we, we ought to get used to our new place in the food chain and move on. In the Mountain West? I mean, the, the new and improved Mountain West when there's nothing left for us at the other than the scraps at the end of the table that the USC Oregon move on to play with the big boys and in the part of the pack 16 or whatever is left after we absorb Boise state and God help us Colorado state and air force. Mm -hmm. Is that the best we can hope for? I mean, okay. If glass, not even half full, but at least with something in it, you think it's hard for us. Tell that to Wyoming. Tell that to Colorado State. You know, tell that to, you know, Kansas, Kansas State. Now, Kansas will find a way to play ba- basketball players. They already do. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's as bad as it is for CU, we're going to end up in whatever the second tier group is. There's going to be a third tier. Yeah. What's going to happen is that there's going to be a separate group of football teams, the top 20, 25. There's going to be NCAA beast championship, whatever you want to call them. And that's going to be CU. And then teams like Wyoming and Colorado state and a lot of others are going to end up playing against North Dakota state, Montana state, and they're all going to be together. Yeah. Okay. The divisions are going to collapse. So I, I think shifting the conversation to the evolution of current conference structures. So it, there's not going to be a Pac-12 as a Power Five conference anymore, no. Because three or four teams from that from that conference will join the big boys. I'm thinking about UW, Oregon, um, SC, maybe UCLA, and the rest we're going to be cast adrift or the PAC 12 is going to dissolve. So that leaves us with a few folks from the mountain West trying to reconstitute ourselves like the big 12 currently is doing. Mm. And that could be the future of the PAC 12. Yeah. I, I think so. It, when, you know, wh- whatever the big 12 was going to look like, God save them, you know, we, we're equivalent to some of those teams. I mean, right. I don't want to be playing Baylor and TCU, but, you know, we're going to have diff- the yeah, Pac-12 is not going to exist. Unless it's, again, reconfigured with, di- you know, different teams. Right. Call it the same thing, but like the Big 12 is going to be the Big 14 after being the Big 10, but they'll still keep the Big 12 name. Yeah. Um, even without Oklahoma and Texas, you know, by getting in Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, Houston, the there, you know, they're trying to 
you know, continue to keep their head above water. But if we've got a commissioner in Klyavkov that says, well, we just need the NCAA to enforce its rules. And we've got an AD that says what we need is for the NCAA to enforce its rules. And almost literally no one else in the country is saying that. And you're losing 22 players to the transfer portal. You believe NIL is evil and should not, you know, affect the student athlete and their chance of graduating, become great citizens. And you got the preseason magazine saying that CU is going to be lucky to win three or four games. I mean, I hate to put it in the dark days, but I did a whole essay on apathy of the CU fan base. There's not a whole lot to hang your hat on right now. So let me just take a wild shot at what things might look at look like, which is the AAU schools that are going to not join the big boys. That would be Stanford, Cal, CU, probably Utah, Kansas, those schools band together and become like a large scale Ivy League in terms of maintaining academic standards, not doing inducements and all of that, and sort of going back to it, and instead going back to a traditional kind of college football structure. Other than that, I, it seems so chaotic to me. Maybe that's not terrible. Maybe not. You know, what? If we're playing Kansas State, Minnesota, playing Utah and Wyoming, you know, or whatever. And they're good, competitive, enjoyable games. Yeah, well, and we're watching them, you know, and yes, everything will change. And but like I said, it, we acknowledged a few years ago that we probably weren't. It's not that we weren't consistently going to be able to play with Alabama. It's that the odds of us ever running up to be able to play against play at the level of Alabama, Georgia, Michi- Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, et cetera, was so far in the past that wasn't something we even looked forward to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes, we're mourning the old system because we got a taste under the old system a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I maybe what I'm seeing is Rick George say, listen, the new system is going to be fun, good football, competitive. And we'll let those guys go their own way. Well, if you can get another 64 teams to schools to agree with them, then maybe that's, you know, going to happen. But Neil, you alluded before we just got on the air about the president. And Brad, you were talking about the new president at CU and what you know about him or what you've heard about him. You mentioned Gordon Gee, who has the distinction of being not only on my diploma, but on my wife's diploma, who graduated from Ohio State <laughs> several years after. So, Got that. <clears throat> yeah, that's hard. To, and I was all in West Virginia in there somewhere as well. So he's been a, then went to, but Tennessee, he's he's been around. But Gordon Gee, University of Colorado national champion, there is some parallels there. If I may, just say something snarky before I respond to your thing is that I read in the paper this week that the U.S. Patent Office has approved oh, the. The, the inclusion of the word the for the Ohio State University. They're no yeah. longer just Ohio State. Yes. Having spent some time in Columbus, I can tell you that that no. is is a thing, you know, I, I, and back to snarky, I'll let you go back to Gordon Gee, is that uh, T- University of Michigan Athletic Department put out a great tweet that they emphasized of, you know, it's like you, you and Adam and there's a the, big of, so apparently they're going to try and make of their big word. So anyway, back to <laughs> Gordon Gee and his bow tie. Gordon Gee is quoted uh, as being in, uh, being interviewed by a reporter from a local newspaper uh, at a football game and being concerned about the outcome and the state of the program because he said, out there running around on the field is my budget. <laughs> And he understood that yeah. there was a linkage between the football program and the overall state of the university. Now, whether he was correct or not is up for grabs. Empirical studies argue it both ways. 
it yeah, seems like we have existence proof in the University of of Michigan and the <laughs> Ohio State University, which are AAU members, but are also emphasizing intercollegiate athletics to the benefit of the university. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, from our perspective as fans, I understand you know, the president has to be there all the time and has a bunch of different people in his ear. And Colorado, University of Colorado has always had issues with the athletic department warring against the academia. But it seems pretty obvious. I mean, you can, you know, you talk about studies, whether it's George Mason or, you know, schools like that at the NCAA tournament or the, the Doug Flutie effect, as it's known, that if you're successful on the field, you get more recruits, you get more money, you get, you know, lots of donors. Brad, how is it not possible that any college president cannot see a direct line between success on the football field and success for the university as a whole? Because there's stuff that comes with it. You know, I've met Todd Solomon and only met him. My uncle, who has been a supporter of the program for decades, knows Todd better. He is a football fan. He is a man who likes athletics. So I think he will He will certainly not be opposed to the program. I don't think probably he's going to be the guy telling Rick George not to put it together, um, not to put collectives together. But in Colorado, the idea that a winning football team is going to get you more money out of the legislature is one that I am skeptical of. As to donors, I do think that there is room to be worked on. I think that we understand that we are recruiting students and that is in part done by football, which is the major sport. We have not focused on that over the last 10 or 15 years. I think I'm hopeful that the new president will be more mindful of that. And Rick George is better at that than some, but we have to look outside the legislature because there is, you know, there is that downside of, a sport that has not always been fair to the athletes, a sport that is not uh, athletes that have not always been loved on the campus, a sport that, uh, you know, sports that have not always been equitable in many, many ways. So it's not selling here that that's that there's going to be more money coming out of the legislature just because they're in it. I mean, Solomon was in the legislature. He understands the money. He understands that as well as anybody. Anybody can go in and, and lobby for more money out of the legislature. It's probably him. And I think he understands that there are people who can be moved by a higher publicity sports team. But, you know, you're, you're right. They're given all of the limitations. There just isn't money in the budget there for that. So I hope Solomon, being a financial expert, is going to understand that and going to be you know, as clear-eyed about the athletic budget and how it works as he is going to be with everybody else. Well, it's, you know, there is that effect of increased in, uh, applications for a successful football or basketball team. And the competition, of course, is not for more in-state students, but for more out-of-state students who pay double or triple uh, the rate of the in-state people. That's how CU makes, I think, a lot of its money in terms of keeping tuition rates as low as they can possibly be. So there is a benefit to the university simply from that perspective is that it's a nice revenue source for them. But I, I, I don't know why CU is not being more aggressive in that regard. And yeah. Stuart, back to your question, is someone tying Rick George's hands? I thought maybe, because in the past, it seems there's always been this conflict at CU, this notion that it's a zero-sum proposition between raising money for academics and raising money for athletics, which was the more money went to athletics, the less went to academics. And there are studies that show that that's not true. And I think I see you want to take a gamble on that. Enough said. Well, I think uh, a gamble in some form, whether it's Increased NIL, the collective, something's going to have to happen to get the CU fan base excited. You've got the Arizona program, which is in trouble with, well, theoretically in trouble with the basketball program. (laughs) 
never seems to actually happen. Football programs lost 23 out of 24 games, and yet there's excitement. There is national publicity, national buzz about the University of Arizona, whereas at the University of Colorado, there's nothing but, well, to be frank, negative. There's nothing really to hang your head on. And CU fans need something, whether it's a collective from outside sources saying, here's what we're going to do, you can contribute. Or CU says, yes, the Buffs with the brand is great. We're teaching them how to market themselves, but we're also teaming up with these sports media agencies. We're teaming up with other you know, big brands that are going to not only help them brand themselves, but also give them some dollars along the way to give them incentive to want to stay at the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. I don't until or unless something positive happens in the NIL arena. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't see what's going on. I don't understand it. That's an excellent well, I point. want to I want to commend see you at the game, Stuart, for putting its money where its mouth is with regard to aiding student athletes. You've done a tremendous job. Mm-hmm. Well, I put other people's money where my mouth was, but yeah, I mean, the fact that see you at the game, which is just a fan site as Doug play likes to refer to it. Did it go fund me in February with not much going on and raise $10,000 in three days to do the 20 interview NIL interview series. So if I can raise $10,000 in three days just to do interviews to get $500 to players, imagine if they actually had some repository of a collective and saying, here's what you can do. You know, it's like we just had, you know, the floods here at Yellowstone Park and things like that. There's lots of fundraisers, lots of GoFundMe. It's like, okay, if you want to help, here's how you can help. More than just talking about it, you can actually do something. And until there's an avenue for fans to say, well, I think it's kind of weird that we're paying players, but that's the way of the world. I'd like to help. I can contribute something to feel better that I am doing something to help raise the level of competition at the University of Colorado. And if I want to put money towards the track team or women's basketball, I can do that. There There's avenues other schools are using and other mechanisms other schools are assisting with that don't seem to be abusing the process. Yeah. And as Brad you know, said, there's no reasons why it has to be either or. It's not a black and white type of thing. You can have some symmetry there between the collectives and NIL that also helps the program without sullying the program to think that you're paying for play. With that in mind, Stuart, a question. Would it be appropriate for someone in the athletic department to say, all right, Anybody who wants to help, we're going to have a conference and we're going to set up a collective and we're going to have some volunteer from the community run that collective. But we're just going to be here to try to bring people under the roof of an outside organization that's going to do exactly what you just said. Could they shepherd that along? Sure, of course. I mean, you think all these collectives that are paying recruits, and again, not talking about advocating for paying recruits and inducing recruits to come to Colorado, not talking about 17-year-olds, but you think that Ryan Day is having recruits being paid by these collectives that Ryan Day doesn't want to have come to the Ohio State University? Of course there's, well, I was going to say collusion, but of course there's communication so if we don't want to get into the recruiting game, fine. I, I'm all I'm on board with that. You know, you shouldn't be paying 17-year-olds to come and play at your school. But there are a lot of transfers out there that could be, wait for it, induced to come to the University of Colorado if there is some NIL stuff going on here. And that's what these other collectives are working with the universities. To make it happen. So if they can do it, and again, by the way, they're not being punished by anybody. Nobody's even thinking about them being punished. 
And as we've discussed, even if down the road there are new rules, they're not going to retroactively enforce those rules. So why not? I just keep shrugging my shoulders and throwing up my hands. Why can't CU play in the in the same pool that everybody else is already playing in? I, I'm I'm puzzled by the inability of someone somewhere in the in the booster community to not step forward and say, "We're going to organize this collective, and anybody that wants to to jump in can do so." Well, that's what was being advocated back in February when I did the GoFundMe thing. It's like everybody was talking about, well, as soon as the collective gets formed, I'll chip in six months later. And we've got the athletic director saying, we're going to take a little bit of a deep breath. We're going to evaluate what we've done. And then by the time we get to August, maybe we'll do something. So we're just left to continue to wait while other programs are moving forward. Well, and what that does, it seems the effect over the short term of the next couple of months is athletes know what schools have collectives and what they're offering and which schools don't. And so there's going to be a filter there among many players who say, see, who doesn't have its its act together. It's not offering anything. They're off my list. Yeah. And you can yeah. be the most magnetic recruiter. Bill McCartney could not recruit over that handicap. No. Whatever Rick George, I mean, here, here's Balan. Whatever Rick George thinks, he shouldn't have said anything. It was dumb stuff to say. And Rick George is not a dumb man. And I think yeah. that reflects his frustration. Yeah. So that goes back to Neil's idea that maybe there's something else going on there. But yeah, if you're talking to the Board of Regents, you're getting quoted, you're doing an interview with the Boulder Daily Camera. And this is obviously going to be read by the Buff Nation. It's not instilling mm-hmm. warm fuzzies, but maybe you know the Kelly Brookses of the world will are working behind the scenes. They're doing all the legal stuff to get the collective formed, and the first of August will hit. We're going to start talking about fall camp, and lo and behold, there's a collective for you to donate to, and we'll all be happy and at least feel like the University of Colorado and its fan base and its athletic department are at least trying to do something for the team to be competitive in the brave new world of nil. Well, here's another zero-sum concept, which is perhaps the athletic department is worried that donations to the collective will diminish contributions to the athletic department. Fine. Anybody else in the world think that? You think Texas A&M's worried about that? No. You think Miami's worried about that? No. No. They ain't worried. There's more yeah. money where that came from. If people are willing to throw money at a team, whether it's to build a bigger weight room, whether it's to have a higher assistant coach pool, the fan base will do whatever it takes if the fan base wants to win and has the means to raise the money, donate the money to make it happen, they'll they'll do it. But I've seen all the message boards where it says, well, until CU starts winning and shows that it cares, I'm not going to donate anything. You know, I'm not going to get season tickets. I've been a season ticket holder here for decades and decades. I'm not going to be a season ticket holder this year. You know, it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing, but mm-hmm. CU's got to take the lead. The athletic department's got to take the lead and the big fan base boosters such as CU has, have got to step up and say, nope, this is this is not working for us. We got to do something more. We got to do something better. Here's a bright, shiny thing for us to look forward to. Donate for this, and we will help you bring a championship back to Boulder. Somebody's got to do that. Somebody's got to be saying that other than tweets, you know, from people that nobody knows. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know Jeremy Doherty is. I don't actually know the man, but a lot of his tweets are, stay tuned, lots of things are coming. We're going to bring championships back to Boulder. Well, okay. This has been a known thing for almost two years. Yeah. NIL. Well, yeah. What has taken so long? Yeah. And why does CU not seem to be, seem to have been caught off guard when we've got an athletic director that was on the committee that was studying the issue? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, 
there's just a level of mystery here that just implies, and I hate to be a conspiracy theorist. I, I don't want to get too far into that, but it, it just seems like Rick George is a smart guy. He was there when all this stuff was being created. He's very competitive in his own nature. Yeah. Why, if he had full reign, why we would not be on top of this. Right. Yeah, there's got to be something because, yeah, you say he was in, you know, ran sports leagues. He was a recruiting coordinator for Bill McCartney. He understands how the game is played. He understands how it works. Something else has got to be going on. And hopefully something in the very near future will turn this around and we'll be happier. But I'm going to have to leave it at that, guys. Uh, don't want our cadre of podcast listeners to uh, – not be able to listen to the whole podcast while they're out on their run <laughs> or mowing the lawn or whatever it is they do while they listen to our podcast. We don't want to go too much over that our, our normal time allotment, but thanks guys for uh, giving us your opinions and the season will be upon us before we know it. Talk to you soon. Take care. Take care guys. Thanks for listening. With the completion of the 2022 See You at the Game NIL interview series, we're back to our regular podcasts with Brad and Neil. Up next will be our Pac-12 preview, where we will take a team-by-team look at CU's rivals, along with a look at how the preseason magazines are discussing your buffs. After that, it will be a position-by-position look at the lineup as fall camp opens in August. Then, it's on to the 2022 season. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I'll be back soon with Neil and Brad as we turn our attention to the Pac-12. Until then, be well. Stay safe and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.